If you have your copy of the scripture, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Mark, chapter 15. We're, we're covering verses 1 to 20 this morning, but uh, the, the Bible reading won't be uh, quite so much. We're just reading verses 16 to 20. Mark, uh, chapter 15, verses 16 to 20. Today is um, what's commonly referred to as, as Palm Sunday, and uh, many churches around have palm branches all in the church, uh, recognizing uh, what's traditionally recognized as a day in which Jesus uh, rode into uh, Jerusalem on uh, a donkey, and the people recognized him and, and actually honored him and, and, and started worshiping him, really, as, as the king, and uh, the people started laying palm branches in his path and uh, he rode really a, a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And uh, we will cover part of Mark 15 today, which shows a very different uh, side of uh, that, that same crowd only a few days later, in which that same or similar crowd that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to uh, the king, soon started to shout, crucify him, crucify him as we see how Scripture is fulfilled and uh, Jesus is led away to be crucified. Now, today, the reading is from Mark uh, chapter 15, beginning in verse 16. We'll see part of this story. It says, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, called together, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, and they put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly God, we thank you and we praise you for the precious gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that you lead us through it together. May your Spirit teach us your ways. Guide our hearts, God, to know you. And God, help us to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I hope that you've been here each week as part of this, uh, this series about the, uh, the sufferings of Jesus and that Christ suffered for us, for you and for me. And uh, I hope uh, that um, you're going to be attentive today as hopefully the Spirit uh, works in your heart to, uh, to teach you more of God's love and grace. I do want to challenge you to join us on Friday as well as we talk about uh, the old rugged cross and the, uh, the torment, the suffering that Jesus went through and was willing to go through that he endured to pay the price for our sins. And then I want to encourage everyone to also bring all the family and friends on Sunday morning as we're no longer talking about death and suffering, but we're talking about life and peace and hope, uh, security that we have for all of eternity because we serve a risen Savior in Christ our Lord. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the sufferings of Jesus through Mark chapter 14, and we're leading up through uh, chapter 16. I do want to encourage you, as I have each week, uh, go home and read through Mark chapter 14 to 16 uh, so that you're kind of aware of what we're talking about and, and, and uh, allow 
uh, the Spirit to, uh, to start teaching you His Word through you. And if you haven't read through that, go home and, and read through that tonight. First of all, we talked about how Jesus teaches us about love and relationships. And uh, He starts working with His disciples, especially in teaching them that uh, above any church practices or traditions, above any feasts or festivals, uh, should be our relationship with God and how that affects our relationship with others. And even in the midst of his impending uh, torment and torture that he knew he was going to go through, Jesus talks about grace and mercy and teaches his disciples, his followers this. Last week we talked about how Jesus teaches us about strength and integrity. And even in the midst of his uh, disciples, uh, some betraying him, some falling away, as he predicts would happen, Jesus continues to teach them. He continues to lead them in grace and strength. And we find out Jesus uh, is, is loving and gracious to the end, not just in the good times, but even in the midst of, of difficult times. He shows honor. He shows grace. He shows integrity. Today we're going to talk some about humility and grace in all that Jesus went through in, uh, in his trial and leading up to the crucifixion. Now, Jesus here, the Sanhedrin uh, have gotten together, this Jewish high court, they've gotten together, and as we talked about last week, they've, they've really sentenced Jesus to death. They said, we, we have to do away with this Jesus. The crowds love Jesus to death. As we say, Jesus is making his triumphant entry, has made his triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem. And the crowds recognize him, as, as a great king, as a great leader, as someone that they should follow his teachings. But these Jewish leaders didn't like that at all. The people had been going to them on how to live and, and how they should uh, relate to others, uh, the laws they should follow, uh, the teachings of the church, the traditions of the church. Jesus came in and, and shook all that and started talking about God and relationship with God and the kingdom. And uh, they were fearful of this. And they wanted to do away with him. And so they send us Jesus to death and they say, well, look, we, we have to do away with him. And they start uh, in, in chapter 14. You remember they kind of had their own trial bringing him up, uh, bringing up all these fake charges against him. In fact, the Bible says in, in chapter 14 that all their stories didn't even make sense as they're kind of making up different things that Jesus has done to try to do away with him. Well, here in chapter 15, uh, beginning of verse 1, it starts talking about uh, the, the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, uh, all of the Sanhedrin uh, got together and they made a decision. They bound up Jesus and they led him away to hand him over to Pilate where he was uh, tried before the Roman leaders and tied up and, and beaten. The Jewish leaders at the time wanted to do away with Jesus, but they didn't have any power to do that. They could handle small matters of the law uh, in the area, but they were still under uh, Roman rule and the power of the Roman government, and they had no right to, uh, to sentence someone to death for, um, in, in Jesus' case. And so they bring him up before the Roman government, uh, before Pilate, because the Romans were known uh, for their capital punishment, for uh, the Roman cross, for the crucifixion known as one of the, the cruelest means of capital punishment ever designed. And the leaders here, the Sanhedrin, think, well, 
we'll do away with him then. We'll just get the, the Romans to take care of him. And so they, they bring him up before Pilate. And they say, we want him to be crucified. They, the, the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead, but they couldn't do it on their own. They accused Jesus falsely. Verse 3 says uh, they accused him of many things. Probably some of the similar testimony from chapter 14, the, the ideas that just didn't even make any sense. They wanted to um, just to, to, to do away with him and to have him done. And so they bring him up before Pilate, who simply asked him, well, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, well, yes, it is as you say. And the chief priests start accusing him of all these different things, and Jesus doesn't reply. Now, it sounds, it's kind of a statement you could just go over, but traditionally if someone's saying, I guess normally, if someone's saying all of these things that are just completely fabricated, completely false against you, and you know that this may lead to your death, you're probably going to say something. But these leaders are all coming up with all these accusations against Jesus to try to convince the Roman government to, to do away with him and to crucify him. And Jesus never says a word. And in fact, this so puzzles Pilate, this, uh, this Roman uh, government leader, that he questions Jesus and says, hold on, you've been accused of many things. Aren't you going to say something? And Jesus doesn't say a word. You would think he would reply to all of these accusations, but he stays quiet. He teaches us about humility because this is the, the, the king of kings, the God with all power and all authority. And yet he humbles himself here to follow along and to do the will of God and surrenders his all to the power of this Roman government, even to the accusations of uh, this Sanhedrin, this Jewish high court. The king of kings surrenders his all. Now, Pilate, he really doesn't see anything that Jesus has done wrong. He says, always, he says he's the king of the Jews. The crowd says he's the king. What, what has he done wrong? What, why would he deserve to die? And so he tries to get out of crucifying Jesus. He said, why would, why would I, I kill him for this? You see... The Roman government had a tradition that around the time of Passover, they would release a prisoner that, uh, that the crowd asked for. Uh, just sort of a, a good favor sort of thing, I guess. And so they had this uh, prisoner there named Barabbas, who the Bible says was insurrectionist. He's a, a troublemaker and, and a murderer, was involved in a murder. And they said, all right, I'm going to release someone to you as a, a show of good favor you want me to release Barabbas, who's, who's a criminal, who's a murderer, or do you want me uh, to release Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. The Jewish leaders start getting the crowd going, saying, give us Barabbas. And they said, well, what do you want us to do with Jesus? And the crowd starts shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Verses... Um, 12 to 15, you see the story in which um, 
about Pilate and some of this exchange. In verse 12 it says, Pilate says, What will I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they all just shouted louder and louder, Crucify him, crucify him. And so wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate releases Barabbas and he hands Jesus over to be flogged and then to be crucified. Now the flogging that it talks about in verse 15 was where Jesus was given the, the 39 lashes with this cat of nine tails as was the Romans' cruel way of preparing someone for the crucifixion. This cat of nine tails was a whip made of nine different strands. Each of these strands had bits of, of bone and rock and uh, different sh- sharp objects in it. And as Jesus would have uh, been stripped and tied, uh, bound and then whipped, each of these whips, as they went across his back, they were designed literally as they caught into, his, uh, into him, as the whip went into him, these sharp objects were designed to catch the flesh so when he pulled back, it ripped the flesh from Jesus' body. Thirty-nine times Jesus endured this beating. And then the blood-torn Jesus was led out to be crucified. Where it says the soldiers, before they lead him on to the cross, before he endures that part, they decide to have a time of humiliating him and mocking him. And so they take his clothes off and they put on him a purple robe. This purple was uh, the symbol of, of royalty. And they make this crown out of thorns. Now these thorns are, uh, are, are common in the area. Now, uh, I don't know, you, I grew up in uh, a farm and we had lots of briars and stuff around and sometimes even blackberry briars or whatever and you learned how to avoid certain areas because you don't want to get caught by these thorns. And so when I grew up thinking they made a little crown of thorns, I was thinking like the, the blackberry briars. I'm thinking these little thorns, or maybe, maybe you're a rose person and uh, you, know, you think, well, the, these roses have thorns on them that are this big. But uh, the thorns that they used, uh, they had thistle, a, a thicket uh, that had thorns that were about this long. That, uh, I've only seen one crown made of these, and uh, I wouldn't want to mess with them. These are big huge thorns, thick as can be, that um, they made this crown out of and then shoved down onto his brow. And so, again, it would have uh, cut into him. And they start bowing down before him, saying, Hail, King! Hail, King of the Jews! Teasing him and, and mocking him while they beat him in the head with the staff. Unbelievable suffering that these Romans says the whole crowd of the guards got together to mock him and to beat him again and again the Bible says here in verses 16 to 20 again and again they struck him in the head as they shouted hail king of the Jews now Jesus again this is God God in flesh 
He has all power and all authorities. And, and what amazes me is this is the God of, of angel armies. This is a God who could have called 10,000 angels down to, to, to fight for him, to protect him, to step in and to, to stop any of this from happening. And yet he endured it willingly. He went through all of this, which begs the question, why? Why would God allow his son to suffer so much? Why would Jesus be willing to give his own life on that cross? To endure such emotional suffering, physical suffering. Well, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before this event, talks about some of why Jesus endured the suffering that he went through, why he suffered. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 to 7, it says this, Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by men, uh, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isn't that beautiful? It talks about Jesus went through all of his suffering. He went through all of his torment, all of his torture, because he loves you. And because this was God's plan to bring redemption to man. Why did Jesus endure this? To fulfill the will of God, to teach us about his faith in God and his trust in the plan. Jesus believed in God's plan. You see, God loves you. God loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you, his children, for all of eternity. But sin stops this from happening. God is perfect and he's holy and he cannot be around sin. It separates us from God for all of eternity without a plan. So God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world, the only one who had never sinned, the perfect and holy one in every way, to be the sacrifice once and for all, to pay the price for the sin of all mankind, so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and puts their trust in Him can have life and hope and security with God for all eternity because of what He is willing to do. Now that, that is amazing grace. It's not because of what we've done. It's just because God is a God of grace. He's willing to endure all this suffering to teach us about His humility, about faith, and to lead us to life. Because God loves you. I don't know about you, but over the last few weeks, I've read through Mark chapter 14 to 16 over and over and over. And every time in my Christian journey, I've read through the stories of Christ giving his life and, and the suffering he endured, 
just say, why? Why, God, would you, would you go through all of this for me? Why would you endure such torment and, and such suffering? Why would you endure the cross? Even to the point of giving your own life for someone like me. Now maybe, maybe I'm the only sinner in the room, I don't know. But I am floored by God's grace. I am. I look at the cross, the old rugged cross, and all that Christ endured. I see when I hear of the, the beatings He endured, when I hear of the mocking He endured, the, the emotional, the psychological, the physical torment that He's willing to go through. And I think He did that so that I didn't have to torment, so that I didn't have to be separated from God. He did that because He loves me. I'm speechless. Now, it's not often that a pastor is speechless. But when I talk about God's grace and God's love, it's amazing. And I grew up singing Amazing Grace, which we were told was the Baptist national anthem. You sing it all the time. It was sung differently, but it was sung all the time. And it used to just be words that we sang because we sang it all the time. And we all, many of us grew up Sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That was different, that, that was a new tune. But anyway, it was Amazing Grace. And um, it wasn't until I grew up in my faith that I started realizing what that means. I started actually putting words with life and words of the Scripture and saying, wow, God did all of this. He endured all of this because He loves you, because He loves me. Because the plan, the plan of God was to have life with you eternally. To give you hope. To give you a chance. He knows that the sin you do, and we all do it. He knows that by our very nature we're sinful. And all of this sin leads to death and leads to a spiritual death, which means separated from God for all of eternity. And no one, even the worst of sinners here on earth, has ever been separated from God. For God's Spirit is right here. God is living and active and with us and available to any who calls on His name. But the spiritual death, eternal separation from God is our path if you don't choose to follow Him. And yet God sees this and He knows the penalty for our sin. He knows that that leads to death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. And God does not want any of us to perish, but all of us to have eternal life. He loves you. And the amazing thing is He knows you completely and He still loves you completely. And by His grace, He endured the torment. He endured the trials. He went through all that He needed to go through to lead up to this crucifixion so He could fulfill the Scriptures that says this is God's plan from the very beginning, this is God's plan. This is why Jesus was sent into the world. John 3, 17 says, God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that the world could be saved through Him. We are in need of a Savior. We are in need of grace. And Christ gives all of that to any who believe. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you'll be saved. Because of God's grace and because of what He was willing to endure 
for you and me. This Friday we're talking about the rest of Mark chapter 15 through the crucifixion and the death and the burial of Jesus. And I want to challenge you, read through Mark 15 verses 21 to 47 to see some of what Christ endured on the cross and, and all that meant and why for us. And in Easter Sunday, we're no longer talking about death, we're no longer talking about the suffering of the cross, we're talking about the resurrection and the life and all that that means for us as a church. To serve a risen Savior. In Mark chapter 16, it talks about the hope and the life that we have because of Jesus. That He is risen victorious over death, hell, and the grave. You see, we serve a God who not only was willing to endure all of that for us, to pay the price for us, but a God that death and hell and the grave could not stop Him. He is risen victorious. And we want to celebrate that on Sunday. I want to challenge you this week. Read through this gospel again. Especially read through Mark chapter 15. Some of the suffering that Jesus was willing to endure leading up to the cross. Read the part that we'll cover on Friday about how Jesus was enduring on the cross and through his death and burial. And now I want you to think about yourself for a bit. Think of your own life. Think of your own sin. Think of the wrong that we've done. And I want you to recognize Jesus went through all of this so you didn't have to. Jesus paid that price with his own life so that you could have life, eternal life, ever, never-ending life with God because of what Christ has paid for us on the cross, because of what he was willing to endure. He suffered for you and for me. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are, for your amazing, amazing grace. And God, I thank you for your scriptures, and I pray that you just teach us through it, lead us through it, God, not just in the church, but day in and day out, and help us, God, to apply it to our lives, for it is then, as we apply the story of what you've done for us, as we apply it to our lives and our situations with our sins and our wrongs, that we just see how amazing your grace is, how amazing your love for us is, and how amazing your plan was to give the King of Kings And the Lord of Lords, a death sentence to pay the price for our sins. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus prayed in that garden, God, if there's any way that this could pass for me, then let that be. But God, not my will, but yours be done. And he knew the plan, and he knew what he was going to have to endure, and he was willing to endure it for any who believe in Him, to offer life and hope to anyone and everyone who will put their faith in Jesus. God, I pray that we not just hear Your Word, we apply it to our lives. And God, when Your Holy Spirit stir in our hearts, draw us closer to You, God, that we might know You as our personal Lord and Savior, that we might devote our life to sharing Your love and grace with others. Help us, God, to honor You in the applying and the living out of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.